Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm Sam Newell, your host, and it is my goal to educate you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. I interview the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they have learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become my goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay safe and not get caught in the next downturn. Tune in and become recession-proof. So wait, where'd you grow up? I forget. You grew up um, just outside of Detroit, right? Outside Detroit, yeah, in the suburbs, uh, West Bloomfield area. Yeah. Very cool. So all I know about Detroit, I mean, you and I have talked about it quite a bit, and I know you've done well there, but you know, most people just think, uh, you're Detroit, man. It's yeah. It's a scary place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they think eight mile M&M. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. but yeah, tell me how it was growing up there and, and kind of how it's different living in Texas now. Yeah. I mean, dude, Michigan, Michigan's awesome. It's tough because the winters suck. It's freezing cold and there's a lot of snow. Uh, but summers are beautiful. There's a huge contrast. A lot of people think, you know, think about Detroit and you hear crime levels, it's dangerous. And, and that's very true for the city of Detroit itself. Downtown has come a long way in the past five years uh, from where it was. There's now billions of dollars of new development coming into Detroit, which is awesome. Downtown, the neighborhoods of Detroit itself still sucks it's very rough it's 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 hood but once you get outside and eight miles kind of that dividing line i'm on the north end of detroit once you cross over eight mile and you go you know a couple miles into the suburbs it's very nice and you know it's it's very high end there's a lot of old money there and you wouldn't really expect it to be you know yeah. detroit area to be that nice but the suburbs are very beautiful what um the people that have money what kind of jobs do they have are they working at a lot at, of automotive you know, yeah, I was going to say automotive execs. A lot of automotive any, execs. Any other thing, anything else going on there? Tons of manufacturing, industrial. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not as tech heavy as you, you know, certain cities in like California. Um, financial industry is pretty big. Financial services, a lot of entrepreneurs, obviously a lot of real estate people. In in Metro Detroit, a lot of the real estate money is concentrated in, in a small number of people. There's a lot of, you know, these old families that have tons of real estate holdings around Detroit and wealth. So there might be 50 families that are just uber wealthy and own a majority of the, the property, especially multifamily. Uh, there's probably 10, family, 10 families that own a majority of the apartments wow. around. So, so it's kind of tougher to break into a lot of those apartments because of that. Uh, and, and luckily I was able to get in and, and had one of those families sell me a property, which worked out really well. So, yeah, that's nice. So, so let's go through that progression. How old were you when you bought it? That one was, I was 21. And what was the down payment? Down payment on that one was about a million bucks with closing costs. And then we had renovations and whatnot. So we, we raised about 1.7. Sorry, you broke up there. You raised about 1.7. Raised about 1.7. Yeah, the loan was 3.4. We bought it for 4.2. So about 800,000, 900,000 down payment. Got it. I don't want to discredit you because you're a smart kid, dude. Sorry (laughs) if I call you kid. You're only like 10 years. I'm kind of a kid compared to most people in the business. Um, I get it. But you were a kid back then. So despite being smart, 
how'd you get people to give you a million for? A lot of it was over the phone, right? So yeah, I built relationships with people over the phone. And, and, and when, when you, you know, people hear the way you talk and they, 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 they get a sense for, are you experienced or not? And I kind of knew my stuff a little bit with a little bit of a fake it till you make it. But if you can talk well and, and articulate your plan very well, and you know, the numbers and understand how the properties operate, uh, I think people are pretty trusting, uh, especially when most people, most investors are not heavy into the multifamily industry. You know, they don't know a lot of the, the details and the nuances to it. So um, when you talk about a lot of that, it's, it's kind of shadowy to them. Um, but, you know, as long as they know that, you know, what you're talking about and you seem experienced, you know, it's not, it's not too difficult to share a business plan and, and seem confident about it uh, with when you have facts yeah. to back it up. Well, and that's what I was going to get at. I'm guessing you had some sort of business plan. You had prepared, you had researched. I, I know you're super smart. And so it's not like you just said, hey, you know, um, I've got this harebrained idea. Why don't we buy an apartment complex together? <laughs> and hopefully it'll make money. You know, exactly. and, and it's funny because I get people like that, like, oh, this, let's buy this house. It, it seems like it'd be a great rental. And I actually had a realtor in Salt Lake text me her listing. Hey, you need to buy this. You need to buy this. And I think it was like a two cap for what it would rent for. So, so no research done, no idea what they're doing. They just want people to give them money. To it go made buy no sense. Yeah. It, it, you have to have facts. I mean, if, yeah. if you don't have facts to back it up, I mean, it was easy for me to say the one bedrooms were running for six fifty on average at this property and, and next door they were running for eight fifteen one bedrooms in the same condition. And I could show them that I could literally send them a link to, their website saying this is what they're running for and I can show them our rent roll, which is what we were running for. And, you know, if you display that right, you put it in an OM or you make a spreadsheet that kind of breaks it down. What are we running for? What's all the competition running for? It just makes sense. You know, OM what are our expenses? Memorandum, right? Oh, OM is offering memorandum. Exactly. Once you have a clear business plan and it makes sense and it looks like you're, per I mean, we bought it for 44 a door and I just sold it two weeks ago for 70 a door in a year and a half. So That's awesome, man. yeah, so we had a million seven profit. Um, it basically doubled the total amount of capital within a year and a half. And you did that because you, you saw a disparity in rents, you know, mm -hmm. didn't have to change much to it to be able to raise rents, but you also did do some rehabbing as well. Did you get right. a, more than what the comps were showing? Yeah, we ended up getting a lot more. So the one bedrooms were at 650 on average for an 800 square foot unit. The two bedrooms were 750 on average for a thousand square foot unit. We got the one bedrooms without renovations from 650 to 800 with light renovations, maybe just nice. fixtures, paint carpet. We got the one bedrooms renovated from 650 up to 925. And that's with, um, you know, new from like countertops, new cabinet doors, uh, vinyl plate flooring, new vanity fixtures, whatnot. So, I mean, that's uh, what that's $275 bump yeah, for a $5,000 spend. And, you know, I mean, if you do the math on that, that's 275 <laughs> divided by 5,000. That's a 66% return on capital spent. The two bedrooms we took from 750. Gosh, I got, I got one two bedroom up to 1200 uh -huh. by spending like 11,000. We did a high, a high uh, renovation. So, I mean, if we got 1200, uh, my 750 that's a 450 dollar increase and you know that's divided by 12 that was about a 50 percent return but some of the other ones we are spending 
five, six grand on a two bedroom and we got them from 750 up to 1100. Well, so. and for our listeners, that's huge. And you know, I'm running, I just have my calculator here. So I'm running, running numbers, just laughing while you talk. Sorry, I did run that quick, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but, I'm just uh, like laughing while you talk. Cause that's awesome. That's huge. But explain why that's so massively important. Even a $50 jump in net operating income is big. $100 is huge. $275 or $270 is massive. Yep. So what does that do to, your, do to your cap rate when you're raising rents and, and your NOI jumps like that? So to run you through the math, let's say um, on that property, if, if we took, we took 50, uh, it was 96 units. We did, I think we renovated about 40 units before we sold it. So okay. let's say on average, we have 40 units. Mm-hmm. times a $250 rent bump times 12. That's $120,000 in additional income a year, right. 40 times 250 times 12 months. Um, and if we divide that by the market cap rate, let's say as a 6.5 cap, that's $1.8 million in value. 1.846 to be yep. totally accurate. Exactly. But we bought it for 4.2. We were all in at 5 million. So we were all on at 5 million and you know, that puts the value up to 6.8. We sold it for 6.7. Yeah. So that's huge. makes sense. Yeah. And you left a little meat on the bone for the next guy. Cause you didn't do all. There the- was a ton of meat on the bone, to be honest. Uh, I wish I would have bought it from, I had it, I owned it with a business partner that we weren't doing business together anymore. We bought our first couple of deals together. We kind of went our separate ways. This was the last property we owned together. So we decided to sell it. And I would have loved to have kept it, uh, but I ended up, I moved to Texas, I self-managed it, and it was just easier to, to sell it. But there was a lot of meat on the bone. They, they're going to they're gonna kill it. Cool. So they're oh, you killed it. So congrats. That's awesome. Yeah, everybody wins. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. So why'd you move to Texas? You just wanted to be in, you know, have a big truck and wear a hat <laughs> or boots or what, what motivated Dude, you? Dude, it's all about there? the boots, man. You got to wear the cowboy boots. You got a nice pair uh, yeah, Glenn, Glenn, my, you know, Glenn, my business partner, as you know, uh, um, he bought me a pair when I moved here. So, you know, I would love to wear cowboy boots and jeans and I obviously I'm not in a, uh, rednecky area where I can really get away with that, but that's <laughs> you my, totally could. People. you could, you could rock it. <laughs> maybe if I was home in Boise, I could, you know, maybe yeah, there you go there, but not, that's uh, awesome. not in Salt Lake city, Utah. We're getting a little too. Is a little preppy there now. Here, yeah, a little too hipster. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of like Austin. Austin's is a, Austin's definitely a hipster city right now. I okay. live a, a little bit outside the city, but um, yeah, I I moved here because I met, as you know, I met Glenn, my business partner, through the mastermind uh-huh. um, that we're in with Radcliffe, and uh, that's how I believe that's how we met as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. In Florida, by the way, that's an amazing West mastermind. Palm Beach. Yeah, yeah, it is amazing. Yeah, great time. I'm at, I'm at some, at, even at this one. This is my fifth one. Um, there's new people that come, a couple new people that come every time, and I met some really cool people at this one. Some new people, so amazing group. Yeah, yeah. So you met Glenn there, and you guys were just like, hey, let's be best buds and buy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Glenn, you know, Glenn has been in the industry for 30 years, and he's twice my age. You know, he went through a similar split with a former business partner, except they owned $300 million in real estate instead of wow. $7 million like I did. So very experienced, been in the industry for a long time. Uh, they ended up selling off everything and he wanted to kind of rebuild. You know, they sold everything in the past couple of years at the top of the market, did very well. 
he wanted to rebuild and he met me at the mastermind and he saw that I had already put a couple deals together. He, he was looking for um, somebody that's very analytical, somebody that kind of brings that side of the equation to it. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. high, highly analytical, love the numbers, analyzing deals. And that's kind of what I brought to the table. Yep. I think it was his wife who, who, when she met me and heard me present at the mastermind, she's like, Glenn, that's the kind of business partner you need. And so a lot of props to Heidi. We hung out a couple times, got, got along very well. Uh, we decided to do a test run and buy a property together. We bought one in Houston and it went so smooth working together. We're like, let's start a company together. Um, I think we can really blow this up. So we did that. We've bought a couple properties since. He, he was based in Austin. I moved down here. I brought an employee of mine. Yeah. And uh, so our team is, is now based out of here and we're and rolling. That's awesome, man. Cool. So do you guys have a goal that you want to buy each year, a certain number of units, certain price point you want to be purchasing every year? What, what is your guys' goal for the foreseeable future? Yeah. So for the end of this year, I mean, so far this year, we've done four or five transactions. We've bought uh, apartment complex up in Fort Worth. We bought one in Houston. We sold the property in Houston. We you guys bought, did okay on that one too, right? Yeah, we did pretty well. That was a good deal. Somebody, you know, people are overpaying right now and it's, oh it's my nice God. if you're a seller. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really great if you're a seller, not the funnest yeah. if you're a competing buyer. Exactly. Yeah, competing buyer makes it very difficult, but um, we bought a couple pieces of land. One we're building our we're building a corporate office on. So that's right here and outside of Austin, closing on a piece of land to build some apartments, about a hundred units. And then we're looking at a couple other possibilities to do some development. I really want to get into senior living developments. Cool. Me too. We're definitely, we're, we're, we're a little bullish on ground up product right now around certain markets like Austin because existing product is selling for the price, almost the price that we can build brand new. It's 30 years old. So we might as well build it and create a lot of that equity up front. Exactly. Longer process, it's a lot harder. It's, it's not easy to do if you're just new and getting into the industry because you need a lot of startup capital. And you know, we're, we're a couple of these projects, we're buying the land cash and then we're gonna go through the, the HUD loan process. And you know, oh, that cool. takes a year to do. You, know, you gotta be able to sit on it. And, uh, but if you can, if you have the ability, I think it's worth it to learn that and, and get into development, so. Yeah, you and I need to talk more about that. and. You know, I think the mistake I've been making is I've been going to these developers who own the land already. They're already working on the project and they, they're seeing dollar signs. They're already getting offers. These, yeah. Whether they're I mean, legit totally. offers or not, it's, it's out of control. Totally. So. I can see if somebody, if I already have a project in process like that, in progress like that, and somebody came to me, it, it's, it's only going to make sense for me to get rid of it for a really high price. Yep. You know, especially if they bought the land two years ago, they have a great deal on it. They're going to, they'd make some money. I don't know. It's not, it, it doesn't really make sense for them to sell it when they're in the middle of it, unless you pay that yeah. full value. And, and you know, the, the one that you and I were talking about, they, they really want long-term cash flow. I think they've been through a couple ups and downs and they're realizing they're only as good as their next deal. So, and same sure. thing with my uncle in Boise, we're buying some land together right now in Boise. And I just wrote an offer in seven acres here in Salt Lake. And that's the type of builder developer I want to work with and be able to work with you and Glenn and, and really syndicate it. And it's funny because I, I just got sent a deal where I can build for about $95 a square foot and they're asking $200, 200,000 a pad wow. for a 20 year old property. Stupid. 
It makes no sense. <laughs> and it's it just makes like, no oh, sense. yeah, no, I, I definitely need to build something. Exactly, yeah. So uh, it, the, the problem is acquiring a good piece of land at a good cost and, and you know, being able to go through that entitlement process too. I mean, the entitlement yeah. process could take up to a year, if not more, for larger product projects. Yeah. And then, you know, the loan process and, and raising capital and all that funding, you could be two, easily be two years before you start if it's a large development, you know, a couple hundred units. So yeah. yeah, my Boise development is 247 doors. When did we, let's see, we put the land under contract January, February, 2016. Wow. And we actually put, started putting dirt, moving dirt in, I want to say April. No, we started, we started framing April, May of 2018. Wow. So, uh, and Boise is not that hard to develop in. It, it, it was tough, tougher than Utah. But yeah, it was two years until, wow. and, and we're just takes a lot of time. units now. So it's been three years. It does take yeah. a lot. How many units was that? 247. 247. That's, yeah, it takes a long time. So It's not an easy process. I mean, if you're, you can't, you can't just start out and get into that, right? Because right. a lot of people want to get into this business and buy apartments and, you know, they expect it to happen so much quicker. Even if you're buying an existing property, it might take you three months to find one and three months to close on it. You know, I've been looking for eight months. It took but... me almost a year till I bought for me to buy my first one. And so I was wholesaling houses in the meantime, just to make income while I was looking for apartments, you know? Awesome. Well, so tell me, let's go back to your story. Why did you get into apartments? I mean, you were in school, you're young. I mean, I'm thinking about when I was in school, I was in at BYU for mechanical engineering and then I switched to construction management and you know, most kids in their 19 early 20s, they're just thinking about, you know, finishing school and getting that first job and getting that $60,000 a year paycheck or whatever it is. I was a janitor, you know, not <laughs> at BYU working nights and That's and awesome. doing summer sales in the summer, not even thinking about real estate until much later. So so tell me kind of what piqued your interest and, and really helped you learn and educate yourself so much earlier than most people. Well, I started listening to podcasts and reading some books after I got introduced to it and um, just really started to excite me and interest me. And one of the things I heard the most from a lot of investors, a lot of people is, you know, they're doing really well. They're maybe in their 40, late 30s, 40s, 50s. And they've been very successful in real estate. And, and all of them said, almost every single one of them, they were like, man, if I could have done one thing different, it would, I, just, I just would have started sooner. Yeah. I would have just started a little earlier. And I, I heard that and I was like, man, why don't I just start now? It just makes sense. You know, I'm coming out of college. I don't have a family. I don't have, you know, a lot of overhead. And I could live at my parents' house, which I did for a little while. It just made nice. sense for me to do it then, I think. And, and I was really interested in it. So I turned down all my job offers. I had a couple investment banking and consulting job offers, and I turned them down. And I took some of the experience I learned at those internships, you know, from, you know, from a financial perspective and brought it over to multifamily. I got really good at analyzing deals and running the numbers. And that's all I did. I would just find deals, analyze, run numbers, came across a couple of good deals, learned how to raise capital and kind of the rest is history. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. And you know, we have a similar progression. I, I started a little bit later than you, but props to you for learning that, analyzing deals. All I knew is 
I didn't want to be a janitor at BYU anymore. So then I started yeah. doing sales. So you killed products. it from what I, from what I know. Yeah, I did, I did pretty good. I was making 40, 50 grand a summer knocking doors. Awesome. So I took that money and I said, geez, you know, I'm working really hard. I, I'd rather make bigger chunks of money for the same time put in. So sure. I, I decided to get into flipping and bought our first flip in 2010. So the timing was very fortunate. That was my June senior year of, of college. So, but I didn't get into multifamily for five more years. Okay. So I'm jealous of you that <laughs> you saw the light, you had some good influences, you know, on you and, and you were smart because those single family flips or those little duplex flips that I did, they made a bunch of money. And my, my first one made a 70,000. Our second wow. one, 45,000 in a year. Awesome. Uh, we actually house hacked that <laughs> one. So we lived for free almost for a year and, and then made 45 grand and, Anyways, it, it was great money and, and I accomplished my goal, but imagine if I had done what you had done and at 25 years old was basically flipping apartment buildings or wow. buying apartment yeah. buildings, you know, and be, I'd be in a different situation right now. So good on you. That's, that's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been fun. And I think the biggest thing for other, you know, for other young people listening to this too is self-awareness and just knowing what you want. And if, you know, you can, you can obviously wait and do it later on. You can go get a job and, and take, you know, take your time, save up some money and then get into it. Or you can just go for it and take a risk and it may or may not work out, but you're going to find out if it's something you love doing and if it's something you're capable of doing. So, you know, a lot of the skills and stuff, I came in not knowing anything about apartments, but uh, you know, you can learn a lot of that. Um, really, I think what it comes down to is do you have the will in you to, to push through all the ups and downs you're going to see. And that's any entrepreneur in any industry, I think, yeah. you know, it's, it's no different than starting a tech company or um, some other kind of venture. You, you have to be willing to push through and sacrifice and, and be patient. It's not going to come overnight. Let's talk about sacrifice for a sec, because I, I love that you said that it's, it's so important. Most of my friends, while I was a senior in college, living in a flip, flipping it. So, from 6 p.m. until midnight, 1 a.m. every night, I was, awesome. I was laying tile, I was framing walls, I was tearing out carpet, whatever I was doing. You know, they're all saving their money, they get a job, and they'd go buy a nice big house one year out of college, they're buying their nice cars and loaded up on debt and properties, yep, taking out tons of debt. So talk to me about what people should be sacrificing, should they be going out and buying a flip. I mean, I mean you got to sacrifice everything. I mean, yeah. I mean, it depends how bad you want it. Like if you, I, I just knew I had really big goals and I wasn't going to get there by screwing around. So in college, my first couple of years, you know, you get to college, you party a lot, you have a lot of fun, make a lot of new friends. I, college was a good time, but I realized that hanging out with those people and being around those crowds was not going to help me progress in life. So um, one of the biggest sacrifices I made, I was living in an apartment with some buddies in a pretty cool town near where I went to school. And it was really fun. There's lots of bars, cool social scene. I moved home with my parents. I, I skipped doing that. I moved back home with my parents and I said, love you guys. You, guys, you know, I had some great friends, but I'm not gonna, I'm not going to see you guys for a little while. Like I'm committing to my goals. Nice. I want to one day own a billion dollar company and I'm not going to get there by partying every weekend. So, yep. uh, I, I, I did cut a lot of people out of my life that weren't good influences and that weren't helping me progress. And I only, I added in new people that were only going to help me 
progress. We're doing what I wanted to do. And I changed my circle. And they, they, wow. they say that you're the average of the five people you most hang out with. And it's honestly the most true thing in the world. You, you literally become who you hang out with and who you surround yourself with if you work hard at it. That's, that's awesome, man. That's huge. So it's funny how you and I are so similar. I did the, you did the same thing. Yeah, dude, you're flipping houses and all your friends were partying and yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and we hung around people that were super small thinking. And so Mm -hmm. I was looking at these friends like, man, where are they going to end up? You know, they're going to graduate this year. No one is talking about investing. No one's saving money. I was in a group of of, you know, kids were making 50 grand a summer. Some of my buddies were better salesmen making a hundred thousand a summer and they're broke by, by January. They're blowing it all on stupid stuff. Yeah. They're buying $80,000 cars with their, with their checks. And I'm, you know, I'm paying for my wife's school, my school and saving money for, for an investment. So I had to change my circle real quick. And I lost some friends and it was rough. It was not easy. You had some blowback from your buddies. Totally. And, and that's tough. That's, that's, that's not fun. I mean, showing up to class every day, the only one to show up in like a suit. When I first started in business, I used to wear a suit and suit every day. I thought it made me more professional. I thought people would take me more seriously. Well, when you're young, you have to. I think it totally helped. Yeah. I think it totally helped when I started. I'm glad I did it. Uh, I don't now because partially, partially because I'm in Texas and it's so hot. I'm not going to wear a suit every day, <laughs> and I don't have to. I think you you've know, got a track record changed. now. It's changed, yeah, exactly. But um, so you know, you get a lot of blowback and people, people poke jokes. They, you know, they they think it's funny that I wanted to go so hard into business that I stopped partying and I stopped hanging out with that crowd and 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 you know, it's not the cool thing to do. It's not the popular choice to make. Um, right but I did it and I cut all those people out. And what it did for me was put me in a position to just blow past everyone, everyone that was, you know, within a reasonable age distance of myself. And, and now all those same people that made jokes about it or thought it wasn't the cool way to go or these friends that I lost because of it. No, no. Now, now they're reaching out to me wanting to get lunch, wanting to take me out to lunch, wanting to learn from me, wanting to get on a phone call with me. And it's, it's crazy how you see. David, can I pick your brain? I'm sure that's what they're saying, right? All the time. Hey, I want to get into real estate. I want to do what you're doing. And it's crazy. So having, having, you've got to have, He'd say you've got to have some balls because it's not easy, especially at a young age. You're gonna yep. get some blowback, and you might you it might not be from just friends. It might. I'm lucky I had very supportive parents. It might be from your parents. Your parents might be afraid that dude. You read my mind. Be, oh, dude. Some people's parents are afraid that their kids are gonna go be more successful than them, and so they say and do things to hold them back. How? How is that? You know, you've got to. You might even have to block out your fam- your own family if they're not supportive of what you want to do. I so, heard a, a great I'm thing very, on a podcast. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Just because people love you doesn't mean they're going to give you good advice. Amen. Amen, brother. So true. And, and sometimes people that love you the most give you the worst advice. I, I love my family to death. I, I love my mom to death. I would never take business advice from her. <laughs> she's like, she's like too kind hearted. She's like, Oh, why aren't, why wouldn't you, why are you increasing rents on your tenants? Why do you have to evict them and let them out? She's like, Oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, mom, it's a business. So I, so there's certain things I just, you know, you don't, uh, you I've don't, got one 
I've got one for you here. So I, I've been selling real estate for 10 years. I specialize in investment properties. I've never made less than a 20% in return on my investments. And awesome. my mom lives close to me and she's inheriting some money uh, from my, from my grandma. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, what do you think I had to do with my money? Like, should I just, and my uncle's very wealthy and he, he puts money in the stock market. Should I just put it, give it to your uncle and, and have him put it in the stock market? And I'm like, face palm mom what like i i pay her as a part-time assistant calling my investors and, <laughs> and she's thinking about investing with oh man like, no don't put yeah, your money in the stock, in market. stock let me, market yeah let me buy you an investment property i'll manage it for free so no it's funny but um going back to your parents being critical i love my mother-in-law and my father-in-law they've been very supportive as of late because they've seen some success i have a track record now but you know, the way we bought our first flip was uh, we, we got an inheritance from my wife's grandma, who by the way, was very, very wealthy from her husband investing in multifamily. But they wanted us to go like our friends buy this nice big house. They wanted us mm. to have something safe and secure and really, sure. really nice. You know, they wanted their daughter to live in a nice place. And our first flip was gross. I mean, it they was were, <laughs> I can imagine it, it was, it was disgusting. They were not very happy. And then to make it worse, I rolled that money and I house hacked a duplex in a druggy area in a very, very hard part of Lehigh, Utah, where we had heroin addicts. We, I mean, but now how did you grow up? What was your upbringing? I grew up poor. I grew up North Salt Lake um, until I was about 10 years old. Then we moved to Boise and you know, our church, I remember people from our church bringing us money and bringing us groceries. And my dad was a grad student getting his PhD. So he's, he was pushing hard to make money and, and also get his PhD. So that was, it was tough. We did not have money. My mom remarried uh, when I was 13 and then I was, we were fine. It was kind of a, we were middle income in, in Boise, Idaho, but yeah, you know, I remember being poor and remember thinking like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta push sure. hard. So you I gotta push hard. What I want for my family. So for your, your wife, their, their, their family expected oh, her to live in a nice place. And, and you're like, no, dude, we gotta grind. We've got, we've got work to do before we can do that. So entirely yeah. different upbringings, entirely different upbringings. Yeah. Her, her grandpa died in the nineties, left his family millions upon millions of dollars from investing in multifamily wow. in California in the 70s and 80s so they have this kid that grew up poor he doesn't know anything you know this is what they're thinking about me their son-in-law i moved their daughter into this disgusting gross duplex that we hated oh man but we lived there for a year for free and we made forty-five thousand on it in a year that's awesome so then we moved into a nicer place and 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 we're doing okay now but yeah it's interesting how you know they were so unhappy with what we're doing and now if you look at my, her two other siblings, you know, financially, we are leaps and bounds, leaps yeah. and bounds ahead of them because of the sacrifices we made. Yeah. Um, I feel like very similar, you know, we, we do have a very similar story and that's, I, I kind of did that. I moved into one of my properties as C-class and I lived in yeah. it, kind of house hacked it. You know, it wasn't the most attractive property to live in, but it worked. I learned a lot and what had a good time. Think when, when you brought them over, when they came to hang out with you? Well, when they first showed up, they're like, oh, you know, this is, I, we made it look really nice because we did a lot of renovations. Okay. We did all the siding. We, we redid the roofs. We, you know, restriped the parking lot. Walking in, they're like, oh man, this is kind of like, you know, I mean, this is a C-class apartment community, but yeah. I kind of tricked out my unit. 
I took I took the unit okay. that I lived in, and and it was definitely the nicest unit on the property. But okay. I also I also paid the highest rent, and then when I moved out, I rented it for you know twelve almost thirteen hundred dollars at two bedrooms. So Jeez. that was one of the ones that was at seven fifty, brought up to like almost thirteen hundred bucks. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I love I love your progression. Now you're you're killing it. You're you're buying big apartment complexes. You don't have to live in them. I don't have to live in mine anymore. <laughs> so it's funny. We're, we, for 10 years, we've lived in flips. We've lived, we've house hacked for 10 years and awesome. we're, we're moving in two weeks out of our last flip that we'll ever do. Wow. Made a hundred thousand in a year, in two years on this one. So that's awesome. Really fun. I love that you sacrifice a ton, but I really love that you've become an expert in your field in such a short amount of time. And that's the thing that, that kind of drives me nuts is when these people are pitching me deals or flips and they haven't done their homework Mm -mm. and it's, it's so rough. So tell me about maybe mistakes that you're seeing people make that they could easily avoid. And I mean, you were, how old were you in 2007, 2008? Oh, I was 12. Okay. So the only, the only part of the recession that I noticeably saw was I, I grew up in Michigan and automotive industry is very heavy there, obviously. Yep. Thousands upon thousands of layoffs. Yeah. Tens of, th- if not tens of thousands of layoffs. And I saw a lot of friends, parents lose their jobs, have changed schools, stuff like that. So D- Detroit did get hit very hard in that way. Um, you know, the GM bailout and everything. Oh, yeah. So other than that, I didn't, I didn't see like real estate prices change much. I didn't, you know, yeah. I didn't, I was too young to notice an effect like that. But well, well, now you're very conservative and you underwrite, you're very critical when you underwrite. Mm-hmm. So tell us what mistakes you're seeing people make now that if there is another recession like that, they could get caught red handed. Sure. I think a lot of people underwrite their deals and their models are based off of the assumption that they are going to hit certain rent bumps yep. and, and, and they don't do enough homework into these rent bumps. Over the next couple of years, I'm very curious to see what happens because rents can only go so high. Uh-huh. Um, you're, you're only, you're only going to be able to put so much money into an apartment and, and, you know, whether you're just changing the cabinet faces and appliances to going to now putting granite in it and trying to bump rent again, you're only going to be able to raise those rents so high. And, and if something changes in the economy or people start realizing, Hey, why, why does it make sense to pay 200 extra dollars just to have stainless steel appliances and, yep. and countertops when I can live at the property next door, just as nice, still got a pool. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't need to spend that much money. When people start seeing they're not going to get the $250 rent bump, they're, they're budgeting and they only get 150, that hundred dollars across 250 units makes a huge difference in the end valuation and the cash flows and whatnot. So um, I think that's one thing, you know, people are over, over anticipating these rent increases. I think a lot of people are not being conscious of, you know, these exit sales prices. They're, they're, they're saying, Hey, I'm going to buy something right now for 90 door. And in five years, I'm going to sell it for 130 a door. I can't predict what's going to happen. It may very well continue to grow the economy and, and something like that may very well happen, but I'm not, I don't, I don't work in the business of making predictions and wild assumptions. I'm, I'm yep. conservative and I base my assumptions off like logic and fact. It, and, and if you see the trend of, okay, the worst recession in the last hundred years in real estate dropped values from 
let's say apartment complex was worth 65,000 a door in 2007 it crashed and and the average went down to 30,000 a door for a certain type of product now it's back up to to 80,000 a door it's a little higher if it crashes next time, it might go down, maybe not to 30,000 a door, it might go down to 40,000 a door, and the next time it might come back up to 95 or 100, right? Yeah. So for you to predict such a wild increase, for it to, to have the same effect in the next five years that we've had in the last 10 years, and you know, coming from the worst recession to where we're at now, the odds that we're going to see the same amount of growth in the next five years that we saw in the last five years are, are kind of rare. Because to back into that and see that same kind of growth that some people are projecting, you'd have to have astronomical rent increases in the next five years. You've had, you'd have cap rates stay exactly where they're at, interest, stay, interest rates stay exactly where they're at. And it, to me, there's too many factors working against that. There's too many things that can go wrong, and, and you're betting on everything going right for that to happen. So... Hopefully that made sense, that explanation, but I just think that people have to be more conservative and, and you know, be ready for changes to happen. The Fed's just dropped the rates again, which is insane. I'm so happy. I'm buying a house in three months and I can't wait to, to close. It's awesome. Yeah, no, and that's great. I mean, we're, we're still buying, we're still rock and rolling, but, but um, you know, I'm I'm very conscious of, of, I look at just historical highs and lows and, and, and some things make sense, some don't. And the way people are structuring their deals don't make sense. Well, let's drill down really quick on rents. So the reason rents have gone up is we have housing shortage. We have all this pent up demand. Sure. And prices didn't go up. Rents didn't go up a whole lot. 2011 to 2015, 15. 16. Yeah. In 16, in, at least in Utah and Idaho, I was underwriting deals and I was so wrong on all the deals I was underwriting because rents, by the time we've closed on them, rents would be $100 a month higher. Exactly. Uh, so it was fun, you know, yep. to tell my investors that I was ultra conservative. But, but what I think people need to understand is that they're based on income levels. No right. matter so how you're going to pay a certain percentage of their income level for housing, you know, they, yeah. they, they can only pay a certain percentage on housing. So if you're underwriting a deal and, and maybe, maybe there's some areas where they will be able to afford higher rents, but most areas where it's not a class luxurious white collar living, you know, white collar jobs, if it's, if it's blue collar, maybe you can't raise a hundred dollars, even if you do the improvements. That's the thing. Look at People their- People are only going to pay so much. Yep. And if you try and bump these rents and, and you know- I'm seeing on deals that we've bought very well and we paid the right price for them. I still know how much effort we have to put into watching the runs, paying attention to the market. You have to tour comps. We're having to adjust the level of renovations we're doing. And the deals are doing very well because we bought them right. But I can only imagine people that, first of all, don't buy deals the right way. They pay an extra $10,000 a door, which is a lot of money extra. Yeah. Uh, that could be all your profit right there in debt payments. And, and, and they're not professionals at asset management. They don't have the kind of experience that our company has, thanks to having someone like Glenn, who's been in the industry for so long. And, and, and they're just going and putting together these deals because they have the ability to raise capital because it's so available right now. You know, and, I heard another good quote. People are so good at marketing these days, it gives them instant credibility. 
just because you're good at marketing doesn't mean you're a great asset manager. doesn't mean you're a great investor. And so Agreed. that's another thing people need to pay attention to it. But, but going back to rents, um, that's something that, I mean, when you buy a property, you, your exit plan, your strategy isn't based on best based case scenario. On yeah, it can't be based on best case scenario. Um, you have to know what rents did. And, and the downturn rents in some areas, you know, in Utah and Idaho, they varied by about 7%. It wasn't that big, but in some areas they varied, they dropped by a lot more than that. And, and um, that affects the deal astronomically, yeah, you know? Up to 12, 15%. So any deal we, we do, we're banking on, you know, being able to cover costs and, and be okay at a 20% drop. Yep. No. Yeah. Um, and I know you're similar. Um, and, and a lot of people aren't projecting or aren't raising enough capital for renovations. That's one yep. thing. So they're getting into it. And then, you know, you have a boiler breakdown and you have to spend $30,000. You have roofs that are in disrepair and causing tons of leaks and all these little things add up. Yep. And if you don't take care of a lot of that deferred maintenance up front, your costs along the way are going to be higher. Your NOI is going to be lower. Uh, you're going to put more strain on your maintenance team. It's, it, there's all these factors that people don't take into account because they're not experienced enough to do it. And they're only doing it because, you know, they've heard about syndication. It's a great way to make money. Yep. Uh, and, and they've found the ability to raise capital and put a deal together. And, you know, they may be smart, but I think, I think, they're not cognizant enough of what it takes on the operation side to really manage these things, especially people buying from far out of state uh, yeah. with no experience. And that is even more difficult. So, yeah. So you can't learn experience, right? Like you gotta, you gotta be able to have someone on the team that's experienced that knows what to look for that has maybe had, you know, I was talking to Ben Suttles yesterday. He had a flood and, and, he knew how to deal with the insurance company and, and how to work all that. And, and Correct. You know, Glenn, your partners have every, you know, in the last 30 years, every opportunity to learn from different scenarios. But yeah, so let's, let's talk about the economy. I, you said something that's really important for people to understand. The last five years have been insane. <laughs> They've been, as selling real estate, it's been fun because I'll tell my sellers, hey, you can get X, we'll throw it on the market, we'll get 15 offers and we'll get 10%, 15% more than that we can't expect that to continue and you can't bank on that if you're buying an asset. So I, and it might, it, it some, might, it could, it could continue in certain markets, but you can't, you can't I'd love to be wrong. You can't make I'd, intelligent. I'd you can't say you're making an intelligent investment by basing it off of the best case scenario. No, look at That's the last hundred years and look every 10, 10 years. And this, this cycle might be longer because the downturn was so rough. Mm -hmm but we can't bank on that. You can't bank on rents increasing like crazy for the next five years. They were just so low. And that's what people my age and your age don't understand is they just think this is some fun real estate game where prices are going to keep going up. And, and so the reason that, you know, I named this recession proof real estate investing this podcast is to look at what happened to people during the last up cycle that didn't look forward to the recession. And mm -hmm. they were thinking the same thing. They were buying assets based on a continual upward cycle for the Correct. next five to 10 years. And they either had loans that were going to get called due at a, at a, in a short time period, or they were banking on a crazy low cap rate exit strategy. And, and so I really love that you said that because it is a unique cycle we're in very high growth, very unique, probably can't sustain. And if you look at CoStar and all these, 
big companies that forecast based on how many apartments are being built, they're not forecasting massive rent growth. After yeah, they're forecasting probably, a stabilization, if not yeah. a, you know, a, a, a heavy flattening in yep. cap rates and growth and all that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, look, man, we're almost out of time. I really appreciate you being on here and, and I want to have you on here again and maybe just talk about analyzing deals specifically. Maybe we'll do one. I had one I wanted to talk to you about today. It's the one at $200,000 a door. Oh, wow. Um, it's in an A area. Amazing, amazing location here in, in just south of Salt Lake. I, I just wanted to to tell you this and then I'll let you go. But um, it was it was almost comical. I was going to send it to you. Then I was like, oh, I'll just run some quick numbers before I look like an idiot sending it out to a few people. And and I'm glad I did because they're asking for sense. 38 million. And I was like, all right, I'm going to work backward on this. Ran the numbers, ran a pretty aggressive rent rent increase but that I knew I could get. And my my offer amount that I thought I could really do well at ended up being 24 million. Yep. They owe 28 million. That's how it happens. It's crazy, <laughs> man. It's crazy. I see that a lot. And I'm, I'm getting outbid on a lot of deals, but... I'm, it's okay. I'm patient. You know, I'm, I'm not, yep. not in any rush to do a bad deal. Yes. I'm not going to do any bad deals in general. So yeah. we're, we're very, very patient, but we're also looking for alternatives, alternative solutions and something yep. we're doing is working on uh, some potential distressed asset funds, almost buying short sales or, or, you know, buying apartments that are not doing well because people are overpaying for them. So, yeah. Hey, I'm excited. I'm excited to find stuff like that. And I think it's going to happen in the next few years, but you've got a lot of cool stuff going on. I, I actually use your analyzer that I purchased from you and, and paid you to run me through it because I had mine, but I, I love learning from other people. So working well for you. Yeah. Yeah. It works great. I think, you know, <laughs> we've, um, we're using you, Robert Ritson Thaler's. So we're, we're using both of yours and we really like the way different things work and, and yours is really simple and great. I love it. But what can we promote for you? I mean, obviously you're raising money for deals. Um, you're doing some really exciting, fun stuff. What can our listeners do to help promote you and, or at least reach out to you and, and hear about what you're doing? Yeah. If anyone wants to invest with our company, Obsidian Capital, you can come to our website at obsidiancapitalco.com. You can also on that website, find my deal analyzer, that spreadsheet software that uh, allows you to, you know, financially underwrite apartments and run numbers. And then check me out on Instagram. My Instagram tag is real estate Jedi, or you can just look up. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So nice. thanks for having me, man. It was a fun. Yeah.